Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. everybody. Andy Richter here uh, with another episode of The Three Questions. And I've got David Duchovny on today. Uh, the multi, multi-talented. It's embarrassing how many things you do. <laughs> it's embarrassing to me. Is I it? That. Is it? Yeah. I mean, because you do music, you do mm-hmm. poetry, you write novels, mm-hmm. um, and then you uh, act in things too, which is yeah. like, once you do acting, why do you do all that work? You found... You found a cush gig, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's absolutely right. Um, yeah, you know, acting is, it's nice to have your words written for you. But uh, as, as you know, uh, well, those, there are long days on set that you start to feel like existential dread of, uh, you know, what the hell am I doing? Yeah. Uh, you know, waiting around trying to get these few lines right all day. So there's, there's something about writing uh novels or or making music that's that's a little i have a little more agency i guess yeah yeah that's what i was going to ask if it's a control thing because well people you know control is like a negative word to people (laughs) well but it's i mean not to me i mean you know i agency it's just you're it's a semantic game then because it is control like that's i mean we all want to i don't know we're all like scared animals, you know, in this big crazy world. And we want to be able to feel like we got some handle on it. So, yeah, I mean, I understand. And especially on movies, on TV shows, you know, they are inherently necessarily collaborative, but that can also leave you feeling like, uh, you know, a ship's crew member on the deck heading into a horizon and you don't know what the fuck's going on. You know, well, you're lucky if you're on the deck. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, now- well, yeah, I think, you know, when you think about it, your performance, well, you have the lines written mostly and, uh, you know, somebody's going to light you. Somebody's going to shoot you. Somebody's going to cut you. So there's all these factors that go into your quote unquote performance as an yeah. actor that, that, that are really not in your control at all. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And um, yeah. And it's also, I'm always amazed to it. Like how really, you know, like uh, you are, your job is just to kind of find this quiet place where you can focus on saying the shit, right. You know, and while, and you're doing it sort of in the middle of a, of a traffic jam of a, of a construction know. zone yeah, yeah 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 now i you grew, you grew up in new york city yeah and and you were and i mean i, I want to get back to that too but i but this because this does prompt a question that i was curious about you went to school for 
uh, English literature. You were in pursuit of a PhD, was it, of English yeah. literature? Yeah. How does acting happen along that way? I mean, is it something that you were really wanted to do, or was it just no. kind of like it just? I had never. It thought was a good it. gig. Yeah, I had never thought about it really. I had, uh, I, I'd never grown up knowing an actor. I mean, the 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 closest I ever came to an actor was uh, I knew some guy whose dad was. Uh, uh, on the Breckstone commercials, that was about. <laughs> I don't know if you remember those. But it was, uh, I, it's a it's an Eastern thing, but I I mean, from living in New York, I know Breakstone, but I yeah, I don't, we didn't have them when I was a kid. So yeah, so that was it. I mean, it, it wasn't like you know, if if I was watching Gilligan's Island, which was the show I'd watch as a kid, I I I didn't even relate to those people as actors. I just th- I just related to them as Gilligan and whatever. Ginger and Marianne. I didn't yeah. think, oh, what is what does Gilligan wear when he's not being Gilligan? Does he take that hat off? Does yeah, he yeah. does he eat food? I don't know. Uh, so I did, I had no no thoughts about that. But I was I wanted to be a writer, and I thought if I was a professor, if I was teaching, then I would be able to have three or four months of the year off in which I would write, and it seemed like that was the that that looked like the structure of my life in a way. Yeah. And, and your uh, is it your mom a teacher? My mom was a teacher for many many years. Yeah. yeah. In, so in New York City, yeah. And my sister is a teacher in uh-huh. Brooklyn right now. So, um, you know, as a writer, I just began to feel um, very kind of isolated and lonely. Kind of the things that I like about it now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when yeah. I was when I was twenty one, I hated about it. Yeah. So. I, I thought, how can I write and not be so alone? And then uh, I thought, well, plays. Uh, I'll write plays, and then you know, the actors will have to come and and do you know, and then we'll direct and we'll do the, do it that way. Come and entertain me and keep me company. <laughs> keep me from being so sad. <laughs> Say my words. Yeah. And uh, and then I thought, well, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna write plays, I should probably know something about acting. So I was I was at Yale at the time, and they have so many productions going on at all times uh yeah. big and little but they're they they basically looking for bodies you know they don't have enough in the in the acting school there to to cast everything they're doing so i started hanging out over at the drama school and actually taking like playwriting courses and met the actors and they said hey you know we need a body here we need a body there and i just started to act that way and uh, you know here i am <laughs> so you sat you like you sat in on the acting classes I didn't sit on an acting classes. I sat on playwriting classes. I don't think it's very weird because if 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 you were like my program was uh, uh, English literature, was, I was getting a PhD in that. Yeah. You, if you said, "Hey, I like books too," you couldn't just come in and sit in our class. But <laughs> somehow, somehow they they let me. I would just yeah. waltz in and I'd sit there and. God, you know, they kind of had an open door policy, which was cool for me. But no, not with the not with the acting. I didn't I didn't study any acting there. Yeah. So did what did you have a technique or did you just wing it, fake it? Well, at first, at first, I I, I winged it and faked it, <clears throat> which is what I eventually get back to. You know, after all the technique, then you get back to winging. Absolutely. <laughs> so um, at first, but then, uh, you know, when I started to take it, seriously or started to actually want to work i got into some classes in new york so i was actually commuting between new haven and and new york i had like this double life where i was a 
a PhD candidate and a, and a, and a TA, a teaching assistant. And then I'd, I'd ride my bike to the New Haven train station, get it on the, the train, take it to my bike to class. And then, uh, and we were learning a uh, Strasbourg technique. And then yeah. I, then I took a different class, which was uh, Meisner techniques. So I've, you know, I've kind of worked around in both the major, you know, acting techniques of this country's of the 20th century anyway. And, and yeah, I, yeah. You know, for me, it's like, you know, it's whatever works on the day, you know, we're, yeah. we're, we're fluid beings, right? So you show up on set and you were caught in traffic and you're in a shit mood. Well, now you've got to figure this out. So you can either use that what's happening today, or if that's not working, you've got to search back and use your technique and, and try to make it happen. And then worst comes to worst, you just fucking fake it. Like, he's, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cause that's, I always, uh, when I, I don't know what to pick, you know, the, you'll, the most I can ever get a, about sort of acting technique that I understand. By the way, sorry about the dog. I no, I never I, apologize about a dog. Okay, that's my credo. She she gets she gets worked up because people walk in front of the house. She's got to go to the backyard and bark. It's at her house. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I you know because I, I, I my whole career has been oh shit they're going to give me this opportunity it would be rude of me to act as if I don't know what I'm doing because everybody else here is treating me as if I know what I'm doing. So just to be polite, I'm going to say, you're right. I do know what I'm doing. <laughs> and then I'm just going to fucking hope that somebody likes, you know, I when a director says, okay, we got it. I, and then they frequently will say, is there, I mean, unless it's really something that I enjoy, they'll say, do you want to do anything? And usually it's no, it's you. <laughs> I just, you know, I, I want to go home. That's what I want to do. So well, it, it's funny that you describe it that way, because I would, I would describe like the technique of your technique and, and Conan and the show as, let me try to get this right off what you were just saying as acting like you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. That's like the that was like the fundamental humor of the show was we are so bad at this we don't know what we're doing. No, no, that that was we what were supposed doing. to be suave. That's what we were going for. <laughs> but you know what I mean? That's yeah. funny that you put your your uh, you know because clearly you were preparing. Clearly, you didn't know what you're doing. But the the style, which I always loved and which was funny, was. Ugh, I just got here. I, what am I supposed to do? Yeah, well, my philosophy with that show, and it built over time. I mean, first of all, I took, and I mean, and I did, a, I've done a lot of press lately about mm -hmm. what that all means. So I've been talking about it lately, which I don't, you know, how often do you really, how far would you have to live up to your own ass to think, what have I meant to the comedy community unless somebody asks me? So I have been thinking about it lately and, and I didn't, you know, when I first got the job, we just were doing it because it, it was a comedy job. It was this kind of show and we got to fill up this amount of time and I haven't done it before, but we'll figure something out. But uh, to me, what that show ended up being was, is it, it had to be about every single one was kind of like a documentary about these two guys that did this for an hour a day. <laughs> right. And, and the key to it to me was always 
people have to experience this hour in the same way that we're experiencing this hour. Yeah. So it was always important to me to be myself and to react to things in an, as much of an honest way as I could. I mean, right. it is show business and I do, yeah. you know, like I say, it's a version of me, but when it's like me, when company's over, like me on my best behavior or most, <laughs> you know, cause I mean, if it was just me, there would have been plenty of interviews where I didn't say a fucking thing <laughs> and, pl- you know, did a crossword on my phone or something. Well, I'll just um, say, you know, and I know that's not what, you know, we're supposed to be talking about here and that's, that's fine. Cause I'd rather talk about you than me, <laughs> but I, I, I read an article. This is why I sought out your podcast. As a matter of fact, I don't listen to a lot of podcasts. So, so I read this article. Um, I think it must've been in the times in the New York times. And, and I thought you were really sincere and, and, and thoughtful and I, I liked what you were saying. Then I read that you had a podcast and I thought, oh, I'd like to do that podcast. And oh, great. Thank not not putting so pressure on you to be sincere and thoughtful. <laughs> about, but, but what and, and, and why I was predisposed to wanting to do it as well was because I had always enjoyed your persona, not only as a viewer, but also as a participant in in the Conan show. And and uh, I, I you always had a real there was always a real generosity to what you were doing and, and, a, and a, and a kind heartedness that wasn't like, it wasn't faked at all. Oh, thank and, you. It, well, if it was faked at all, it was faked well, you know, and, and, and I thought your timing was always great and I, you always just made me laugh so much. So I was like, Oh, and then I read, Oh, this is what this guy's really been thinking about. I said, that's interesting. Like he's, Oh, thanks. It's kind of a little, He's a little tortured there. That's cool. Well, <laughs> I mean, you know, it's a weird, it was a weird job. It was a job for, to which I was very suited in many ways. And I kind of oh. described that in the article and that like, I kind of from an early age was in charge of morale and mm. was kind of mm. there to react to whatever happened. So I kind of was bred to, to do this kind of job. It does get to be, you know, you, you get tired of being, I, I, I say a lot, and I've said this numerous times to showbiz wives, I understand. <laughs> like, I understand what it is to be a showbiz wife because I was kind of his TV wife. So I understand, like, this is great. This is wonderful. We have a great job. But sometimes I get annoyed that people don't pay attention to me or, you know, or kind of look at me as an accessory to somebody else. Well, here's, uh, it's very interesting for me to hear you say that because there were moments when I'd be on the show and this is a while ago. I can't remember the last time I did it. Uh, and it's okay that you guys didn't invite me back for the big goodbye. Uh, <laughs> even though I we, had nothing to do with that. Even though we had some classic bits. Um, someday, someday I'll tell you about all the people that were truly hurt. If you're, if you were truly hurt, no, I'm not you can truly add, hurt. I'm okay. Not truly hurt. Cause there were some people, yeah, there's some stories about who got but emails there, from whom. There were times when I felt my attention wandering to you more than I felt was, uh, was okay. <laughs> and, I, and I felt, I felt like, Oh, mm, I, I feel like there's a little, I can't increase this tension here. I've got to take my eyes off Andy right now. Yeah. And, and get back over here. It was, well, yeah. I mean, and it's not, there's not like a lot of tension between me and Conan. Oh, no, no. You know, I mean, honestly, and as time has gone on, the, the pressure has gotten less and less because we've understood 
we've understood like it, it, it there we do a volume business everyone doesn't matter that much and unto itself except for if everybody had fun and mm-hmm. that was kind of we got to that it took a long time to get to that um but there and I would I would make me nervous too the one that would make me the most nervous was Jane Lynch whom I've known since about 1988 uh, and we actually were in sh- show. We were in married in a. We did a show called the Real Life Brady Bunch, and she and I were oh. Carol and Mike. Right. And um, <laughs> she used to do this thing on the show. I mean, she still kind of did it even towards the end, where she'd be on the show and Conan would ask her a question, and she'd turn to me and answer it. <laughs> and I always was sitting there feeling like, "Turn, no, look at him, <laughs> look at him." Yeah, he, he's the one you should be looking at. Uh, I the, of all I I used to like to to uh, think about bits to to do when I would do Conan, and, and and one of the bits I did on Conan had really terrible repercussions for me in my life. Uh, oh, the Vancouver thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, well, now it was so silly though because they were very soft. Vancouver, you you came on the show. Yeah. When he was doing, it was he was was he doing a week of shows in Vancouver? Was that it? No, no. I was just uh, there were rumors at the time that that the show was moving from Vancouver to L.A. and, and oh I, yeah, I just got married and I was uh, I, I was one of those people you know pushing for that because I don't think I don't think I'm on I was on the show when this happened. You weren't. What year was this? Uh, ninety, uh, probably ninety eight, ninety nine. Oh, then- then I was there. I yeah, was there. I I, yeah, 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 yeah. I remember. You're not getting I remember, out of it that way. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I remember. Uh, well, I mean, this whole last month has been weird to see yeah. hours of tape that I don't have any recollection of. Yeah. But I specifically remember you telling Vancouver jokes and there being a backlash. But I don't have a memory of it happening it really, on air. It was air. a really great gag because – it was Conan uh, is going to ask me, well, why do you want to move the show? And I would say, well, and I, you know, say something negative about Vancouver. And I, I said something about that it rained a lot. And then the, it was your guy's idea, which was great. And I loved it was like, you're going to cut to the audience and they're going to see a bear, a Mountie and a hockey player <laughs> crying. like dabbing the- <laughs> Hey, you're laughing now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was like, great gag. Great gag. Yeah. And then, uh, but unfortunately, the next day it was reported in the Vancouver papers, that, almost as if I'd held a press conference and said, who can live in Vancouver? It rains too much. <laughs> and uh, I went on a PR defensive. Wow. Uh, for months and couldn't couldn't set it straight that I actually, here's the truth, that I loved Vancouver and actually like a lot of rain myself. Temperament. Yeah, yeah. But there was no going back. There was no, there was no taking it back. People are so touchy about that kind of stuff. I mean, and it's like, it's also, it's the softest. It's the weather. Most cliched (laughs) thing that you can make fun of that town about, you know? Well, I think what it was is that we were, you know, I think Vancouver felt protective of us. You know, we had like, we, we, and and I get it, you know, and I, I think they're, I think they were hurt or in some collective way hurt that we were leaving and and that it just came out this way. And I get it all, you know? Yeah. And I, I, I love them too. And I love that place too. So yeah. I, I understand. And, and it just yeah. kind of took this weird form. Yeah. But um, one time I remember I wanted to come on and uh, I said to the producer, I can't remember who I was. 
I said, I want to bring a guitar and, uh, and then uh, just on with me. And I didn't play guitar at the time. I said, I want to bring a guitar. And then uh, Conan would logically ask me about the guitar. And I would say, don't ask me about the guitar. I told you. <laughs> <laughs> and they didn't go for it. And I was always, I was always upset. I was like, I, I said, that's, that's so fucking funny. Will you let me just do it? Yeah. Don't ask me about the guitar. I told you, you went over this. <laughs> I'll tell you why they said no is because it's like a, and I'm not the big theater student, but it's, uh, isn't there like the, is it Chekhov's gun that are like, if you bring out a gun, somebody's got to use it. It's known as the company's guitar now. <laughs> somebody's got to play that fucking thing. <laughs> Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Can't you tell my loves are growing? Well, when you did you find yourself when you started taking those acting classes, did you find yourself kind of energized by by the challenge of the technique and and yeah. it and it took over where writing had been your drive? Uh less writing and more like sports. Um, you know, because I I had been well, obviously I've been like pretty intellectual. I've I've been doing well in school and I was moving on that way and those institutions higher learning and stuff like that but i hadn't really exercised my emotional being in the same way or my performance being since i played sports you know and that was i loved i loved the game i loved the the pressure of the game so it, it kind of I, I related to it like that it was like oh this is like having a ball in my hands again you know yeah and uh I, I still think it's like that. You know, I, I, I get the nerves. I get, you know, I get excited to play. And uh, aside from that, it was accessing emotions. That was never anything I was like, uh, you know, lauded for doing. Like nobody mm -hmm. said, hey, David, you know, be more emotional. That's not, that, that wasn't what they were saying at Princeton and Yale, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. So for me, it was really a place where I could mature and explore emotionally, which is, which wasn't something necessarily part of my education before. That. Yeah. I really, 
I was like, oh my God, I can, I can have all these emotions and, and be these ways and, and I don't have to go to jail. Wow. You know? Yeah, yeah. I don't, I'm not breaking anybody's heart. Nobody's killing themselves because I'm being such an asshole. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. I, 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 I enjoy that. I enjoy yeah. that exploration, you know? And then, of course, humor was something too. It was like, oh, I can make people laugh. I like doing that. Yeah. I like doing that. And you don't, there, there isn't, you know, especially in English literature, and I mean, I don't know what Yale is like, but there's not a lot of concern about where the laughs are in those programs. You know what I mean? It's like, because. I don't know. You know, it's like people, people do have certain misconceptions about that because I've just been talking about with my daughter who's studying English right now too. And, and we were talking about how funny Kafka is. I know yeah. that's a really silly thing to say. Yeah, yeah. Like, if you if you don't approach it as this kind of hallowed piece of of literature, you know, yeah. enshrined on the Mount Everest of literature, it's fucking funny. And so is Beckett, and yeah. so is Joyce. There's a Shakespeare. I mean, and, um, if Shakespeare done well. You're laughing. Yeah, the guy, Pinter. Like I oh, find, yeah, yeah, Pinter. Like all those long stretches of just. Silence. Silence and meaningless drivel is just <laughs> hilarious. And you're right. You know, like waking up as a cockroach is pretty fucking funny. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh, shit, I'm a cockroach now. Right. Yeah. I have the you same know. consciousness. Of, yeah, of, yeah. Of person. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I, started, I started in college and I took a lot of English classes and it didn't seem that fun. And when I remember, well, also to when you're like a freshman in the sophomore in college and you think you're going to write something and it's going to be important and right. it's always so dreary, you know? And so, you know, it's like when I went, when I transferred to film school, it's a cliche that everybody's first film. That's not just an exercise is about suicide. Like all these, <laughs> it's just a film school. I, I cliche. Yes. If you go, if you go watch the first crop of everybody's doing a short film that they all are just, you know, that they all decided on, they, it's their thing. It's you'll go through, if there's 10, there's six of them were about suicide. Somebody <laughs> killing themselves. I mean, I, that's the way it was. I don't know. Now, now it's probably about superheroes you know, <laughs> now, but, um, but yeah, it's, I, I never found, I did write one. I tried to write one funny story and I felt it was, it was like, well, this is really funny. Okay, let's move on to Jeremy's. You know, that was it didn't it didn't really seem like there was anything sort of substantive to it, which yeah. you know, I I I I mean, I don't really care one way or the other. I mean, I do think comedy is the most perishable of entertainments. Really? Yeah, I do. I think that things that were funny oh. 30 years ago stylistically yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just no, just basic funny. Things that were funny thirty years ago, just well, certainly, certainly, yeah, the last couple of years, yeah. Thing. Uh, but, but some stuff, you know, it just it doesn't age well. I couldn't disagree more. I mean, I agree that 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 yes, styles change, and that uh, and certain subject matters are going to become highlighted culturally and become either more or less funny over time. But I think, I think that 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 to make people laugh. You know, to make people laugh in the most fundamental way is is not attached to the style of the day yeah. or, the, or the news of the day. Really, it's it's more of a, you know, 
to me, it's just a big joke that we're, we're here on this planet and we have to die, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and we, have and to we know it. And we know it. So, yeah. so comedy to me is the highest, you know, I mean, obviously within drama, you know, I mean, I, my heart goes to the things that are mixed. Yeah. Know? Yeah. So, yeah. But to me, like the, the, the most evolved response to many situations is to, 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 to try to see what's funny in it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, like Vancouver, <laughs> try and find out what's funny about Vancouver and then you find out quickly what's not funny. About yes. Vancouver. Well, I found out what's not, which is almost as valuable <laughs> as finding out what is. Yeah. Yeah. Now you are, a, a, are, are, do you live in New York city still or? No, no. My, my son graduated from high school last month. Uh huh. And that was, that was, that's pretty much it for me. For oh me. really? Yeah. And yeah. are you here in California or? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Cause you're a New York City boy. You're a New York yeah, City really baby. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Uh, did Born you grow up on the on? You grew up downtown. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. I grew up on, well, Lower East Side, I guess you call it, but like 18th and Third, and then 11th and Second. Yeah. Those, those are my cribs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and those are, you know, those are pretty normal neighborhoods in terms of like Manhattan, that being a mix of people living there, but also a lot of street action. You know. Yeah. A yeah. Lot of, yeah. yeah. My, my my neighborhood when I was growing up was this odd mixture of Ukrainian and Puerto Rican. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, wonderful. Yeah. wonderful <laughs> you know, pierogies and cerveza, you know. Yeah, all, yeah. Uh, that, that was a very Chicago thing, too. There was a lot of <laughs> neighborhoods that were, yeah, overlapped Ukrainian. It was one called Ukrainian Village that was Ukrainian, and but Mexican. Every, but it was all overlapping. And Polish overlapped yeah. with Mexican. When I was... When I was in Chicago, you could run into people on Milwaukee Avenue that had lived in Chicago for 20 years and didn't speak a word of English because <laughs> they didn't need to. They could just right. be Polish, you know. Right. So, so so my my neighborhood was oh, it was completely just it was it was literally a melting pot, you know. Yeah. I mean, it, it was like the cliche of what America likes to think of itself as. You know? What what drew I mean are your folks from that neighborhood? What drew no, what drew them to that Chicago. neighborhood? Oh, wow. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my father was born in Brooklyn. Um, so he worked in Manhattan and, uh, you know, I guess they just uh, decided to live there. I mean, they, my mother had never really wanted to stay in America, but she, she's 91. She's still trying to get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so my dad born in Brooklyn, mom born in Scotland and they, they settled on Lower East Side. They just know? picked and it. Yeah. Yeah, and it was a great place to grow up. I mean, there was a lot of a lot of freedom. Um, you know, you you didn't you weren't really aware of the horrible things that can happen. I mean, you know, there was the occasional, you know, horrible thing that could happen, but it wasn't in everybody's minds that a child could get snatched off the street and disappear forever. Right, you know? right. Um, so I had a lot of liberty and a lot of uh, autonomy, and uh, you know, the city is great for that because you you don't need to be in a car, you know, you can just go wherever you need to go. Yeah. Did, um, did you ever sort of exercise that freedom to the point of being dangerous? Of me being dangerous or getting into a dangerous, getting situation? into dangerous situations. Um, I'm sure that I did, you know, I just, I'm sure that I didn't know it at the time, you know, it's yeah. like, I, I'm, I'm sure I, I pushed, I pushed, you know, boundaries, but 
you know, I just, I just had that kind of, when you're young, you just don't think, you know, yeah. you just, you're just doing shit. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I never broke any, you know, uh, big ticket laws, you know, <laughs> but, right, right, right. Just, just little ones, you know, graffiti and shit like that. But yeah. But, uh, yeah, because I, I have a 15-year-old and a 20-year-old, and people have os- often asked me, you know, people with younger kids, like, how do you give them freedom when they start going yeah. out by themselves? What do you do and all this stuff? And, you know, and I've always I've always felt that any advice was tempered with the fact that, like, my kids just weren't built to be trouble seekers. You know, they mm-hmm. both were kind of, like, my son is very kind of, almost overly cautious in a way. Mm-hmm. And my daughter, as she's gotten older, has been that way too. So I always just wonder, like, you know, I, I think like y- you are who you are and your parents can either give you freedom or they can give you right strict boundaries depending on what they think you need. I mean, if they're doing it right. Some parents are just like, <laughs> see ya, <laughs> have a good time. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, as a parent, you know, you realize early on, you know, that your, your, your kids may be a mixture of you and, and your, your spouse, but they are their own thing, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, like that water is going to seek its own level in some way. And, yeah. and, and, and all you can do is just, just like yell warnings from the sidelines. <laughs> like, Watch out for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever, uh, when you were younger, like, did you ever covet a more sort of suburban lifestyle? Never, 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 because I just didn't know it. I mean, yeah. you mentioned the Brady Bunch. I did covet that. I was like, man, that that's a nice house. That that California looks fun, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, and but but I mean, those that's the like the specificity of my thinking. It was like that kind of numbskull thinking. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. That's what California is. I there there is a. Um, there's a housing project near where I grew up <clears throat> called uh, Stives in Town of Peter Cooper. You know, you know what those are in, mm-hmm. in the city? Yeah, yeah. They're sort of like a bunch of high rises that look like there's 50 of them and they're all yeah. the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and they were built as kind of affordable housing, I think, for veterans of World mm-hmm. War II. So they, they, were, they were built in the, in the late 40s and 50s. But they had little parks and they had little parks and it was like the self-contained like suburbia. Mm-hmm. And I do remember wishing from time to time that I lived in, in Peter Cooper because it just seemed like, like it was a real neighborhood. Like, 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 Oh, my park, I have my own park yeah. and, and, and there's green, there's grass, there's a yeah. tree, you know, there's yeah, actually yeah. a tree. Yeah. So I did, that was, if I ever coveted like suburbia, it was coveting Stives in town, Peter Cooper. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> sad. That, that was your idea of idol, you know? That was my idea of nature. Yeah. 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 Now you were, uh, you were a big sports guy, right? Was mm-hmm. that when you were young? Was it all mm-hmm. sports all the time? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. I just want to be in the park. I go to Peter Cooper. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Baseball, basketball, tennis, swimming. Yeah. I just loved, uh, as I got older, I loved team sports more than like individual sports, but I, I just, yeah, I loved it. And you played in high school. Was that kind of, I played in high school. I played a little in college and, and that was really like my first heartbreak about like, what am I going to do? Because once I stopped playing 
like organized sports, which was my second year of college. And that um, was basketball? Basketball and baseball. Oh, I and baseball. Playing. You were on both teams. Yeah, I stopped playing both. Wow. And, and uh, yeah, it was a real like redefinition for me. I felt, I, well, first of all, I felt like a great failure. You know, like I hadn't done what I wanted to do. I was heartbroken. And then it was like, well, what am I going to do with my life? I mean, it wasn't like I thought I was going to be a pro. I mean, that was obvious enough. But I thought at least for the next four years, I'm going to be doing these things. And then, yeah. I mean, that's how I identified myself as a guy chasing a ball. <laughs> right, right. As a as an athlete who also read books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Well, I mean, how long did that? How long did that period last? Where you feel that kind of well, you know, yeah, that, the heart, that the heartbreak of it. Well, yeah, that sort of sense of failure that turns into readjustment, yeah. and then you kind of, you know, no, I don't know. Probably, I don't. I don't know how long it took. I mean, I certainly I remember just feeling like. It's, it's almost like that feeling of, well, you're not a liar so much as like, I guess I'm not who I thought I was. Yeah. Like that. It's, yeah, a very, yeah. it's a very, it's a shitty feeling, but it's a very necessary one to, to reinvent or, or, or it's necessary to be honest like that with oneself in a way. Yeah. And, and also to realize that that's not, that's not actually a self-definition. That's yeah. just something you were doing. Did uh, and were you cut from the teams? Is that how it ended? I mean, <laughs> it's funny you ask because um, I don't think I was. But here's here's the story. I'll try to tell it quickly. <clears throat> in the year two thousand, which was one of your great gags, yeah, and I was very happy to have been involved in that one because it always made me laugh. Yeah, but in the actual year two thousand, the Lakers and the Sacramento Kings were locked in a in a in a big struggle. Yeah. Uh, for the the Western Conference Finals, and I and, and I went to a game. I think it was game six or seven. And I had known just briefly. I knew the owners of the Sacramento Kings, the Maloofs mm-hmm. uh, brothers. And as I was walking to my seat, I had great courtside seats. I was walking to my seat, and I said hello to the Maloof brothers. And Coach Carrill, who was the legendary coach of Princeton, was now at that point in two thousand an assistant coach for the Sacramento Kings. And I said. I'd love to say hi to Coach Carrill after the game. And they said, sure. And so I went down, I, I watched the game. It was an amazing game. I have to say that the refs kind of handed it to the Lakers. I mean, it, it was a great game, uh, but uh, I felt like the Kings were the better team at that point. Yeah. I'll, I'll probably be run out of uh, L.A. like I was run out of Vancouver. <laughs> but um, – I went to the Maloose after the game and I said, oh man, that was, a, that was really horrible what happened in the fourth quarter there. I, I, understand, <clears throat> I understand if Coach Grill doesn't want to see me. And they said, no, we told him you were here. He, want, he wants to talk to you. So, yeah, if you wait over there. It was like, and I wait in that tunnel, you know, that, yeah, the, yeah. The, the great tunnel that everyone yeah. goes where, where there's light out there and it's dark in here. Yeah. And that weird feeling of waiting for someone after a show, or, you yeah. know, like standing around with your thumb up your ass feeling yes, in the exactly. way. Yeah, exactly. And I see Backlit coming from the tunnel, and he was a little round man. Uh, this little round finger, figure, like ambling towards me, and I knew he'd had a heart attack recently. I knew I knew he wasn't doing great, but he gets within like twenty feet of me, and it's only him and me now. And I start to raise my hand to wave at him, and he says, "Aren't you glad I cut you?" <laughs> and I say, well, coach, uh, I think I, 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 you didn't cut me. I, 
I think I quit. And he said, no, no, I cut you, but look how good you're doing now. I mean, you should be glad I cut you. You're doing so good. And I was like, coach, I think I quit. I don't think you cut me. And we like me at this thing. <laughs> so many yeah. years later. Well, somebody, ha- you both feel proprietary about your <laughs> success, you know. Yeah. It was my decision. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, because I think the hard thing about that kind of situation too, and it's it's good to get it out of the way young, yeah. which is when you have an idea of yourself and the world tells you, no, no, that's not who you are. And you can fight it and fight it, but usually the world wins, you know, like when it's, yeah. you know, it, it's like, no, you're, you know, it's like I try to tell my kids if if there's a somebody's being an irritant and then more people are saying you're being an irritant it's uh, it's a democracy so if three people say you're an asshole you're being an asshole you know right. like you can have all the righteousness in the world and all the picture of of what your motives are but no if you're being an asshole you're an a- and i mean you weren't being an asshole but you were like you thought you know you were you were an athlete and <laughs> they're like you differently. no you're not you're good sure whatever you know have yeah. fun you got a yeah. hobby but no find something else to do well i mean it, it's you mentioned your kids around this and, and it's certainly something that that i thought about more later as i became a a parent um because <clears throat> you don't think of it that way when it's happening you know, you don't think of it as, oh, the world is uh, world is just conversing with me right now. Right, right, right. No, it feels like everybody hates me. Uh, <laughs> they're stealing my dreams. <laughs> so, um, but when you have kids, like, yeah, you know, you know that like every dream that they have, then they're, they're not all going to come true, but you want them to, you know, you want yeah. them to. And, and then you just realize, you know, it's almost like your heart will break more for them than it would for yourself and then you realize oh it's just all about resilience you know yeah. this whole this whole life is just everybody's getting knocked down every day you know that's yeah. just the way it goes and uh social media aside which gives you like this false view of, of everybody's perfect life or, yeah. or not but um you know it's just the ability to kind of say Oh, you know, like you asked me how long it took. See, I don't know. You know, that's the, you know, how fast can you bounce back? You know, how long did it take for me to go? Okay. I guess I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not going to be this great athlete. Uh, that's not who I am. That's not going to define me. Yeah. Uh, now is the rest of my life going to be one of those guys sitting around on podcasts talking about what a good athlete he used to be? <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Yeah, Maybe. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela, you put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor, because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. Medela, the mark of the fight. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Can't you tell my love's a-growing? 
Yeah, no, it is. It's it like you say, resilience. It's it's also too. I you know, I uh, I don't have a religion, but I do sometimes say I'm a devout relativist, and it's in comparison. I am always like, I I think it's a very valuable thing when you think that you got it shitty to go. Mm, but wait a minute. Here, mm-hmm. check out these other lives that are way worse. And then you just kind of be like, well, all right, I don't have to be a Pollyanna about it, but I at least can kind of know that I'm not being persecuted by the universe and can kind of move on. Yeah, um, I mean, there's that, but there's also, I mean, and I have, I do talk to my kids about this as well. It's like, you are entitled to your own human pain, no matter how good you seem to have it. Yeah. Because, because the gig comes with a lot of pain. Yeah. Period. Yeah. yeah. Now, then I mean, the gig the, of being alive. Yes. Yeah. So, so then, I mean, there are other really bad hands and really bad rolls of the dice that, that people get. And that's, that's obviously legitimate too. Yeah. Yeah. But even if, even if you don't think you have a right to feel bad and you do, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say to you, you don't feel bad. Right. Or you shouldn't right. feel bad. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe you can feel a little better. Um, maybe you have it. Maybe you do have it better. But, you know, that's the first noble truth of uh, the Buddha, right? Life is suffering. So, uh, you know, I take that I take that as, as my gospel. Anyway, I'm, I mean, I'm not like a dark, dark person. But, yeah. you know, there's a lot of hurt. And But I get I get what you're saying. You know, it, it is good to uh, to relativize sometimes. Yeah. And just be grateful for for the good things. I just, yeah, I mean, I just find it, I don't know. I just, I've always found it useful for so many different ways. I've I've talked about it before for motivational ways, especially like going into a very daunting business and Mm. looking at successful people that I just think are not that great and going like well if that fucker can do it then mm-hmm. all right i i can do this you know it just it, it can give you confidence in that way um but you're right people and especially any you know any in social media anything i can say stuff about you know my car breaking down and people yeah. will say oh i bet it's a nice car and at least you have a car and you have a job and right. you're on tv and shut the fuck up don't ever complain right. Right. You know, all right. Okay, fine. You know, <laughs> whatever. But, yeah. you know, everybody's life becomes their life. And, and and I'm sure, as you know, as you go through, I've seen many, many people who have it all and who are fucking miserable mm-hmm. and a- addicted to the misery in some way, which is mm-hmm. just, I yeah. don't even, I used to kind of be fascinated with it, but now I'm just bored by people who don't seem to want to take the reins of their own just not even like some crazy happiness just like no not being a fucking mope not hating everything all the time you know yeah well i think you know like what that puts me in mind it was like people were self-obsessed self-obsession is pretty boring you know yeah yeah so i i just get bored and then i get angry you know uh, at those people just because i'm like i don't i don't give a fuck yeah yeah what? especially when you got to work with him that's that <laughs> what you're getting at yeah yeah yeah. let's name some names <laughs> but no this but, isn't that kind of podcast but that's you, my next uh, podcast you know you uh you, you touched on something uh i think that's very 
very valuable, which is, uh, you know, you put it in a way that was kind of, uh, you know, funny, but it, it's true because I, I had similar experiences where when I, when I first got on sets, because like I hadn't been, you know, an actor, I hadn't, I hadn't thought of myself as that till mm-hmm. I was maybe 26 or 27. And uh, it was actually on, uh, on Chaplin. I had a small role on Chaplin and there were, there were lots of very well-established established actors on that. And I saw them work and I was like, and it wasn't like, oh, that asshole can do it. I can do it. But I was like, oh, it's not, you know, they're good. Yes, they're yeah. good. But it's not. Magic. Yeah, I can. I, I think I can do it. I yeah, can't do it. Like when I saw it up close, you see it. In, I see it in the movie theater. It's like, oh, I can't do that. I mean, that's, yeah. that's magic. And then, then I would see it up close and be like, oh, yeah, no, they're good, but I think I can do it. Yeah, you know, and that was valuable for me to see that. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, and you're right. I mean, that's a yeah. You're right. That is a more sort of gracious one. My version of that was when I got out here. And was doing this Brady Bunch show, which, you know, I mean, I was making a living, but not a real living. Mm -hmm. But we would go, groups of us. uh, What year was that? 92? Mm -hmm. Yeah, 91, 92. When we would, we would go groups of us, and I had a pickup truck, so I used to load up the truck with stuff and people, and we'd go to the beach. That's dangerous, yeah. It was it was the nineties. Uh, <laughs> life was cheap back then. Um, but uh, we used to drive out to the beach, and I would look at just all the houses on the hills as you drive yeah. down PCH, and I would think show business paid for most of these. I bet you, right? And and it and, and you know, and ancillaries of show business, not necessarily. You know, that not every house on that hill is owned by a famous director actor there's some agents yeah there's some agents in those there's some guys that hang lights in those there's you know and and that uh, that was tremendous because also i was looking at it from a very midwestern this is an industry this is a craft this is a trade i'm learning a trade and absolutely and i always took like for me it's more on a television show because it's a long-running thing and you know you know this yeah yeah you know, you were part of a show that was a living for a generation yeah. of of workers there. Yep. And I've been a part of two long, two or three long running television shows. And and yeah, you know, I I felt like I was a tradesperson too. I felt like I should show up on time and I should show up prepared. And everybody here is is doing a different job of this thing. Yeah. And we're all we're all kind of holding each other up and and making a living. Yeah. Know? Did um when you started working in television and you st- you know you started to enjoy the success of mm-hmm. the X-Files. That was kind of that was the first big regular gig, right? Well, I actually, uh, I, I did a show called Red Shoe Diaries, where I was like a, I was like the host of this uh, show. Which Diaries? Red Shoe. Oh, Red Diaries. Shoe Diaries. Right, right, right. It was kind of dirty, right? Wasn't it? Well, I don't like to say dirty. I don't like to use that word. I, I do because that's <laughs> that's what it, that's what appeals to me. Is it dirty? It it had that what they call cable edge, correct? Yes, exactly. Yes, yes. Exactly. 
that's the way I like to think of it. Um, and uh, in fact, when I got the X-Files, I was still doing that. And I, w I only existed on the margins of the show. I was like, I did the pilot. We called it a movie. We thought we were doing a movie at the time because it was so cable at that point was so kind of amorphous that yeah. it was like, oh, yeah, this is a movie, but then they might show it on some TV channel and then there'll be other kind of episodes of it. I was like, oh, yeah, really? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I was in the pilot. I was in the movie and then it got picked up and would continue. But at the end of the pilot, my character who is who has found his 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 dead lover's diary and in that diary has read about this affair she was having and she ends up killing herself because she can't square you know her lives right and i find this and you know i'm heartbroken i didn't know her she she didn't have to die and i take out an ad in the paper for women if they have secrets that they can't tell anybody they can't tell their shrink or their priest or whomever tell me and uh you so pervert <laughs> dirty pervert <laughs> and uh so they send me their stories which are very similar to penthouse letters when when it comes down to it of course but, um that's that was the extent of my responsibility i would basically i was a lonely guy with a border collie walking around the, the docks of san pedro and i I'd, I'd, I'd take a out of my trench coat i'd take a an envelope and i'd start to read dear red shoes you'll never guess what happened to me yeah and then that was the show so i could do while i was doing the first year of the x-files i actually would come down to la for maybe one weekend every three months and shoot like six wraparound yeah episodes. yeah wow yeah well did did going from ivy league education searching towards a phd or, you know, heading towards a PhD in literature to sci-fi television show, like, and, you know, with that enjoys a kind of pop success. Mm. Were you okay with that? Like, was there, or was there something where you felt like you were, you know, you were uh, focused on higher minded pursuits and now you're kind of. Yeah. I mean, I, no, I just, well, I, I just wanted success at that point. Yeah. Like, yeah. And did I not want to be hugely successful? No, I wanted to be hugely successful. I wanted, you know, I wanted that show to be as popular. I didn't think it would be nearly. Yeah. I, I didn't. I, I did not think it would be at that. It was point. weird. It was a weird. It was, and that yeah. was what was so great about it was that yeah. it was so fucking weird. And I, um, at that point, you'll remember, uh, TV was like it was like the ghetto. You know, it was like you. you yeah, yeah. If you were an actor, you didn't want to be doing TV. It's yeah. different. Different from now. And, and the X-Files is, is one of the reasons it's different. You know, the, the, the shows started getting movie-worthy, you know, yeah. until right around that time. So I, my plan was like, no, 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 I'm just going to – I got rejected from so many television shows, and they'd always say, he, he's a movie actor. He's a movie actor. He's a oh. movie actor. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, you're damn right I am. You're damn right. <laughs> Thanks and, for uh, not giving me the job. <laughs> yeah. You're right. I am too good for this. Well, this movie actor can't buy that sandwich. So, <laughs> so uh, I was not, you know, I didn't want to do television. I didn't yeah. want to do it. And um, I also, but that didn't, you know, the, the, the work that we did, I thought was, uh, you know, movie worthy. And then 
you know, the fact that it was sci-fi to me, again, same thing. Sci-fi back then was was sci-fi. You yeah. know, now sci-fi kind of rules the universe, you know, but and and every good actor, every great actor wants a sci-fi franchise now. Yeah, all, yeah. They all want how do I get in the Marvel universe? You know, it's like uh, but it was different back then. Sci-fi was considered like, you know, Twilight Zone or whatever. Um, so there was part of me that was like, eh, uh, you know, this is a little like sci-fi, you know, it wasn't my bag. And, but then, you know, the show was what it was and, and I didn't see how good it could be. And I, I didn't see how kind of flexible the storytelling mechanism would be. Yeah. yeah. And I think it also too was like, it was a turning point for legitimizing genre stories. Mm -hmm. I think that probably, you know, the X, I I wouldn't say like without the X-Files, we wouldn't have the ubiquity of the Marvel universe, but it certainly softened up the mainstream to like being like, yeah, all right, this stuff that's kind of meant for kids or, you know, weirdos. Uh, yeah, this niche stuff is is not going to fly in the mainstream, and then it did, you know, it because yeah. uh, they yeah, hadn't so. really. I can't I can't think of anything that kind of had a paranormal occulty kind of, you know. I mean, back going back to like the Night Stalker, maybe you know, or yeah, that's not, that's Twilight not a Zone worldwide phenomenon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I think I think that's probably right, and I you know. Um, so I was on the side of, you know, of, of, of the past, the way I looked at it, it was yeah. like, no, no, not what I want to be doing or associated with, but I'm going to, I'm going to do this pilot because it's good. And, and it's probably too good to, to keep, keep at that level um, yeah. and all that stuff. So I was wrong about it all, but, you know, I kind of hung in there and, uh, also needed to get, I needed to get a lot better. I needed to work. Yeah. Uh, I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't know how much better I needed to get, you know? Yeah. So uh, I was very fortunate to be employed uh, and to teach myself yeah. over, over a couple of years of yeah. 14 hour a day, 10 months out of the year, being on set, figuring out what the fuck it is I do. How, how is what, how am I going to get that through um, with this grind? You know, how am I going to, how am I going to relax enough? How am I going to keep myself interested? How am I going to learn? You know, really, it really forced me to um, figure out the kind of uh, work that I wanted to do and, yeah. and, to, and to be decent at it. Because yeah. when, when I started, no, I was barely treading water, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it is, I, I mean, you know, one of the things I'm happy about that I get to do is I'm going to hopefully get to act more because I miss acting. And I find... You know, in the last 10 or 11 years, my acting has pretty much been one-off guest spots or a couple things where I've had mm-hmm. an arc in. And I, it's exactly what you say, that when I come back, somebody hires me to do a recurring on a – the first day back, I feel like absolute shit. And I, yeah. I mean like that when I – and when I look at the end thing, which I don't do that much, I don't enjoy watching myself, I think, ugh, you're not good at this. Right. And then, at, you know, a couple episodes in, I'm like, all right, there it's, you know, it's, it's muscle memory and you're kind of getting back to it. And like I say, I don't have any technique. My technique is just, uh, and I, people have objected to this when I've said this, but like, it's just being a good liar. 
Like I'm not really this guy. And I have to, I have to think like, how would I put myself over as this guy in real life? And so I have to sort of think about on a, on a, you know, granular level, how do I sell this lie? And it's like, well, I would maybe do this. I would talk like this. I would try not to. That's exactly what a technique is. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, (laughs) yeah, I know. I know. But people just to couch it in like being a good liar. They feel like, (laughs) you know, that somehow not, it doesn't sound noble. And it's like, well, it's not that noble. I mean, you know. Well, maybe call yourself a good storyteller. Okay. That's what I'll do from now on. Yes. You heard it here first, folks. Now, when the, when X-Files becomes a juggernaut, are you too busy with your 14-hour days to kind of be flummoxed by that? Or, I mean, what was that well, like? Uh, well, there was a lot of it that, that was just went on somewhere else because I was yeah. Working. But, yeah, I mean, you know, after a while, you get the, you get the feeling um, that, that this is crazy. But it's also, it's happening to you. Yeah. It, it's... Uh, it seems normal. Yeah. Uh, it seems like, yeah, that's what happens. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's, yeah. It's easy how things get normalized so quickly. You know, yeah. when I think back on it, I think, wow, you know, that was, that was something uh, like many things were something, you know, but, <laughs> but uh, you know, at the time it was just like, yeah, yeah. Let's, um, you know, and certainly there was, the scrutiny, you know, the kind of like instant kind of like recognizable nature of my face was, was weird, you know, uh, at first. Yeah. Um, and then that becomes normal too. So it's just a strange thing. Yeah. Yeah. Does it, um, I, the thing, the thing that I find about being publicly known, that's kind of, I still am ambivalent about is kind of the need to withdraw uh, because of, you know, the attention that you get just going out, you know, taking your kid to the grocery store and stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, is that something that, that happened in your life? And I mean, and how, sure. how have you coped with that? Uh, this be like an asshole in public. <laughs> uh, yeah. Long cigarette <laughs> holder and constant sunglasses. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I think, I think that's that's the uh, that's the difficulty is figuring out. You know, sometimes I just think, hey man, I gave it the office. You know, I gave yeah. it the office. I gave yeah, it the yeah. office. It's like, but then you know, eventually you do you do get a little more perspective on it, and you go, All right, I have to understand this equilibrium here. I, I know what it, I know what it's about. Yeah. Um, and am I going to teach this individual a lesson? Yeah. Or am I just going to, you know, just make them what they think makes them happy? Right? Yeah. Or whatever. It's like, so, I mean, I went through times teaching people lessons like I do sometimes when I'm driving, you know, because they need a driving lesson. <laughs> uh, but, you know, then I stopped. You know, yeah. I was like, you know what, just, just be of service and, yeah. uh, and, and you know, be a decent human being. Yeah. Yeah, because it, it does, I find energy to be a finite resource so it's like how am i going to do the energy to just be sort of nice and get through this or am i going to school this person on how rude it is to interrupt my lunch you know? <laughs> exactly. um, well uh i want to make sure you don't know my name is not Mulder. my name is not Mulder. my name is, <laughs> name yeah. is not hank moody i didn't yeah. write that book i yeah whatever you know, like, <laughs> and then eventually it's just like yes i'm Mulder. yes i'm moody yes, sure I'm sure yeah yeah, yeah. 
Do I want to uh, do I want to make a greeting for your a voicemail? Sure, sure. Yeah, bring it to me. Bring it. To, come on. Yeah, yeah. It's just yeah. It's just this is a funeral, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> we got time before they close the casket. All right. Um, I want to make sure we get to your new novel, uh, yeah. which is called Truly Like Lightning, and I just yeah. want I want to make sure you get a chance to yeah. to plug it here. Yeah. Well, that's you plugged it. Yeah, you just said the name. Well, but uh, you know, tell me what it's about. Oh God, it's an epic, Andy. I, I it be, be I, I have. It's a long. I, I sold it as a uh, to Showtime. We're gonna hopefully we're gonna make it as a television show. Oh, awesome! But, yeah. Um, I'll, as a I'll, as a mini series, or is it? Would it be like no, an? It would be ongoing. It would be uh, ongoing. Yeah? Um, uh, for instance, the second season would not have. It's not in the book. The first season would be the book. Oh wow! Um, um, but it's. Uh, I guess the hazy basic premise is about this. Uh, former Hollywood stuntman who I'd play who converts to Mormonism because uh, he has to in order to inherit this bunch of land out by Joshua Tree that his grandmother, a Mormon, left him. And in the course of like the charade, like an actor trying to act like a Mormon, he actually converts himself and, and like really starts to believe it. And he ends up moving to this huge miles and miles expanse of land out in Joshua Tree with with three wives and and raises ten kids off the grid for the last twenty years. Wow! Not not the kids have never met another human being. Um, wow! So by a turn of events, he's kind of pulled back into society, and so are the kids. So it's really it's about the struggle between you know religion and, and modern society, science and faith, and uh, the past and the present, and uh, you know uh, parenting really. Yeah. Um, what, what, uh, can you look back on like one, one moment that kind of sparked inspiration to tell this story? Cause that's a big rambling story, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, there's a few, you know, that's the way it happens in, in the novels that I've written. It's usually like a couple of like lightning bolt kind of ideas that link up. Yeah, and you squish them together, yeah, yeah, and they become a bigger yeah. idea. Yeah, so, um, you know, uh, this one, actually, it actually goes back to the X-Files. When I was I was writing an X-File, um, I had an idea for one, which was really about, uh, it was like a meta one, where they were making a movie in Hollywood of a case that Mulder and Scully had been involved in, and they were you know, invited to set and, and I cast Gary Shandling to play Mulder and, and Tay Leone, my, my ex, my wife at the time, to play Scully. So uh-huh. it, was, it was a fun thing for me to do. And uh, <clears throat> but the X-File, the gag, the caper in the middle of it was based on this guy named Michael Hoffman, who just had a, a, a Netflix documentary about him a couple months ago. He was a forger of Mormon documents who ended up. Oh, I saw that. Yeah. So yeah. He, he killed a couple of people with pipe bombs to try to cover his tracks. So I was fascinated by this guy because I was reading about him at the time. I was fascinated by, by him because he had said that when he was forging Joseph Smith, the founder of the church, he was so consumed with the spirit of it that it wasn't really a forgery. It was actual, it was, it was more like channeling. It was more yeah. like he was Joseph Smith. Yeah. And, and as an actor, you know, we were just talking about, it. I was like, Oh, that's, you know, you hear actors talk about that. I mean, that's what actors are, are doing. Yeah. supposedly. 
And we're also forgers, you know, in that way. Mm-hmm. That way, you know, you say I'm a liar, you know, yeah. the same thing. So I was fascinated by that. So I kind of created a story around a forger of actually Jesus Christ's uh, <laughs> words. Yeah. So I, I, I transmuted, I translated uh, Mormonism to just uh, Christianity. But because I was interested in that story, I did do a lot of research around Mormonism at the time. And, and, and I'd always been kind of fascinated by it. And there was a professor of mine in New Haven named Harold Bloom who wrote about, um, called Joseph Smith a genius, like a literary genius. You know? mm-hmm. And that was fascinating to me. I was like, oh, my God, Joe, you know, because that my my idea of Mormonism was more like, you know, the Book of Mormon, you know, like the cliched, uh, you know, version of it. So, yeah, these things kind of started rattling around my head. And then there was, um, you know, a plot device, you know, that they, they, they aside from polygamy, uh, there was another uh, tenet that Joseph Smith held and Brigham Young to that is no longer practiced called blood atonement, which is there are certain sins that are beyond the uh, atonement of Christ's sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And the only way that you can personally atone for those heinous crimes is to have your own blood spilled. So I thought, oh, wow, that's a great plot device. Like if, if you don't believe in the justice of society, but you have like a religious justice, um, that that fights against you know society yeah and so these things started to like tumble around and yeah it only took 20 years but i wrote it <laughs> yeah no it's it, i i uh uh i definitely want to check it out because i uh like i have a, a, an interest in mormonism i mean i have i have read about it a fair amount uh that Oh, I forget it. the 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 jo- the classic Joseph Smith book. Uh, is it No Country Knows My Name or No Man Knows My Name? Yes, yeah, no yeah. Man. yeah. Uh, and it's just, I mean, it's amazing. What's amazing to me is that the recentness of it is, and that's kind of like the point of this guy forging documents. Is it's just a lot easier because it all kind of happened. 10 minutes ago within terms of, you know, civilization time. Um, and yet it's become, it's as legit as any other religion, you know, and it's as, it's as all the stuff that you can look at Mormonism and go, wait a minute, this took place in Cahokia, Illinois. And that's, right. you know, that's BS that did, you know, that's just people, some sort of collective then, and, and, and cultish belief. But Noah's Ark, well, right, or I mean, walking on water, you know, you know, turning loaves into, you know, yeah. making loaves and fishes right. appear. Right. It's all, you know, magical, and it all just kind of depends <laughs> on the, the belief of the people. Yeah, well, well, it's also what you say is exactly uh, appropriate for what I was doing and what Bloom was talking about, which is that there's a there's a kind of uh, flying by the seat of your pants, uh, uh, vitality and present day ness to Joseph Smith. You know, mm-hmm. he's he's not looking back two thousand years ago all the time. He's saying, right. "Hey, it's happening now. It's happening in America." Yeah. So it's very American because Americans like to think, "Hey, it's all happening here. This is the place where it happens." Yeah. So. There was something very American in it. There's something very energetic, not like, you know, looking 2,000 years ago to the miracles, but looking like now to the yeah, miracles. Yeah, yeah. So right. 
that was like cool to me. It was like, yeah, why not? Why, why do we have to be born late? Why can't we, why can't we be born in the, in the best times? You know, why, yeah. can't we, why can't we be born in the time of miracles? You know? Yeah. Yeah. And also, uh, <laughs> you also then get to kind of re-examine what the notion of piety is and, and put in all kinds of convenient parts that allow you to, you know, marry more than one person at a time. Um, which is all, you know, that's the other fascinating thing about that religion is the notion, and it's kind of like causes them trouble these days, the notion that anyone can be, you know, there's no Pope. Anyone can have a direct conduit to God. And when you can do that, it's like, you know what? God says, you know, that we should chrome the house, you know, and, (laughs) you know, God says I should blow up the city's water supply. And, you know, and and when you get down to that, once you give that kind of egalitarian freedom to a religion, like some crazy shit is going to happen and some crazy shit has happened. Well, I mean, you're describing Martin Luther as well. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, yeah. You're describing Protestantism. Yeah. Which is which says you don't need the mediator of a priest to yeah. talk to God. You're describing the advent of the printing press, which said the priest doesn't own the Bible. Everybody yeah. can have one in their own home and can read it whenever they want. And we're going to translate it into your language, you know? Yeah. So uh, that's always going to be the move. Yeah. Uh, it's always going to be, people are going to say, Hey, there's this thing, but there's a limited supply and we're going to hold on to it. And we'll, we'll let you know what's going on. And eventually people are going to go, ah, I think you got to share a little more. And if you yeah. don't, then we're going to, we're going to have our own supply chain. Yeah. Yep. Yep, religion. It's crazy. Anyway. <laughs> we solved it. We'll be right back. Um, well, is there something that you've left undone? I mean, the, the second question of these three questions is where are you going? And yeah. uh, and is there something you've left? Because, I mean, you do so much and you have so many irons and so many fires. And here you wrote this novel that you've been stewing on for 20 years. And now it's very possibly going to be a TV show. Mm-hmm. Um are there things left undone? I don't know if, 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 if there are actual things, but I keep on liking to do stuff. You know, yeah. I, mean, I certainly am not trying to uh, do the same thing again. Uh, but in my experience, every diff- every project that's different calls out a different part of myself and different, you know, you're a different person every day. So things just change through the work and I'm fascinated by that you know every every step of the way to watch watch how it's all different and I do love collaborating I love I love meeting new people and working with people that I like uh, whose whose work that I like um so I'm I'm I guess I wouldn't say like oh there's something I want to do that's specific but I would say that I'm still hungry to keep doing things I don't know mm-hmm. if that makes sense Oh, it makes absolute sense. I mean, it's like I've never had a plan. I've just my plan's always been uh, to be open and then to make a choice when it comes, because that's all anything ever is. That's building a house. That's cooking a meal. It's just a series of decisions that life presents you and you go, oh, I'll go this way or I'll go that way. You know, I know it's so impossible because you realize sometimes you realize that that little decision was so important to yeah. the rest of your life. And and once you start to think about that, like for instance, I I tried to turn down the X-Files because I already said I already committed to 
doing a little part in a television movie mm -hmm. for a friend. And I was like, no, you know what? I can't go back on my word. I said I was going to do that. And like well, my agents, just they all came down on me and they said, you have to not do it. You know, yeah. we'll get you out of it. Uh, but if it was left to me, I would have said, you know what? I, 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 I believe more in my word than I do in this thing or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah, um, yeah. But Kierkegaard, another philosopher said, the moment of decision is madness. You know, it's like, cause, cause when it comes down to it, like you don't, you can like write your ledger down pros and cons and, you know, and all this stuff, but you know, every decision you've ever made has come down to like, fuck it. I'm going to do that. Yeah. You know? So that's the crazy thing when you realize yeah. it's all instinct and just like, oh, oh I feel like I'm going to do that. Yeah. I just try to say yes as much as I can. Yeah. I, I agree. Yeah. I mean, you know, you don't want to look like an asshole and do some piece of garbage, but well, I've done that too. You know, so, <laughs> Oh boy, I have, I sure have. And I'm always, I always call those jobs. They paid me enough, you know, <laughs> like there's like, I know it's not great, but ah, oh, shit, here comes the number. And yeah, I got to do that. You have said, they couldn't pay me enough. Come, <laughs> you? Have you ever said it? Yeah. They couldn't pay me enough to do yeah. that. Yeah. But sometimes they can. They certainly can. <laughs> well, uh, you know, we're kind of talking about lessons here, uh, Kierkegaard and all. Yeah. Um, what, what, isn't, there, what is there, isn't there a moment in your podcast where you always talk about Kierkegaard? <laughs> yeah, but that's just because it's an exterminator company here in Burbank and they're a sponsor. Oh, I thought you were big. I thought you were big in Denmark. Forgive me. <laughs> no, it's uh, Kierkegaard Pest Control uh, uh, on on Olive Avenue in Burbank. <laughs> um, what I mean, I mean, what what's what's the biggest lesson you've gotten out of your own story? Uh, you know, that um, you can impart or or not. Uh, it, it's not, it's not my own story, but, but it's something that I kind of, I'll tell my kids. Um, it's never as bad or as good as it first appears. Yeah. And I'll also say, you know, stay on the train cause the scenery will change, you know, like that. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Just, just sit down and wait a bit, you know? Yeah. Um, also much like, I think it's in King Lear. One of the characters says, this is not the worst. So long as we can say this is the worst. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're not dead. We're still saying, oh, this is the worst. Yeah. It can't be because you just said it. So right. these, these things just like, just to try and get like a long perspective, even when you're in the heat of the moment, it's, it's a tough thing to do, but that, that would be you know, whatever ups and downs I've had, career life and stuff like that, that it's never been as great or as bad as it seemed yeah. at first. Well, thank you so much for taking this time with me. This has been, this has Except been this. this was as great as it seemed right now. <laughs> <laughs> I just, we just All right, come on. We just disproved. <laughs> He was an asshole the whole time. He said well, Andy, all kinds of great stuff. Andy, I just wanted to, like I said, like towards the beginning, I just wanted to say, I guess it was my way of saying thanks, you know, that I always appreciated uh, what you did on TV. And, uh, you know, I appreciate as, as, a, as, a, as just a guy sitting in a room looking at it, but also as a guy sitting next to you. 
that uh, I dug I dug your thing, and it's your thing, and uh, you know, even though you can't explain it, which is probably why it's your thing. Um, yeah, I just wanted to say, you know, I dug it. So that thank was, you. You know, I just wanted to be as inarticulate as I just was. <laughs> no, no. I mean, it's, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I never know what to do in the face of a sharp tooth compliment, ready to well, sink its fangs into me. And well, it's good. We're just on zoom where you, you can just, <laughs> just press that leave button. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I muted you. Whenever I hear you saying <laughs> nice things, I just mute you. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, thanks again, yeah. uh, David, and thank all of you for listening. And we'll be back next week with more of this stuff. I've got a big, big love for you. The Three Questions with Andy Richter is a Team Coco and Earwolf production. It is produced by Lane Gerbig, engineered by Marina Pice, and talent produced by Galitza Hayek. The associate producer is Jen Samples, supervising producer Aaron Blair, and executive producers Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson and Cody Fisher at Earwolf. Make sure to rate and review The Three Questions with Andy Richter on Apple Podcasts. Can't you tell my love's a growing? This has been a Team Coco production in association with Earwolf. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com.